Please turn with me to your copies of the scripture to Psalm 72, which is the passage for tonight's sermon. Psalm 72. And as you turn there, I want to say thank you for your faithful support and prayers for our family. And we are very thankful for your support because that really enables us to return to Taiwan in three weeks for church planting there. Thank you very much. May God continue to use your labor, your support, and your prayers to advance his kingdom even to the ends of the earth. Psalm 72. Remember, as I read and you follow along, this is God's holy, infallible, inerrant word. So very, give very careful attention now. A psalm of Solomon. Give the king your judgments, O God, and your righteousness to the king's son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your afflicted with justice, that the mountains bring peace to the people and the hills in righteousness. May he vindicate the afflicted of the people. Save the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. Let them fear you while the sun endures. And as long as the moon throughout all generations, may he come down like rain upon the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days, may the righteous flourish and abundance of peace till the moon is no more. May he also rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth that the nomads of the desert bow before him and his enemies lick the dust, that the kings of Tarshish and of the islands bring presents, the kings of Sheba and Seba offer gifts, and that all kings bow down before him, all nations serve him, for he will deliver the needy when he cries for help, the afflicted also, and him who has no helper, he will have compassion on the poor and needy and the lives of the needy he will save. He will rescue their life from oppression and violence, and their blood will be precious in his sight. So may he live, and may the gold of Sheba be given to him, and let him pray for him continually. Let them bless him all day long. May there be abundance of grain in the earth on top of the mountains. Its food will wave like the stars of Lebanon, And may those from the city flourish like a vegetation of the earth. May his name endure forever. May his name increase as long as the sun shines. And let men bless themselves by him. That all nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone works wonders. And blessed be his glorious name forever. And may the whole earth be filled with his glory Amen and amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for your word by which you nourish, strengthen, and sanctify us. We plead with you now, O Lord, protect us from the evil one. Remove every distraction and temptation from us. By the power of your spirit, enable us to understand, believe, and obey your word. Let us hear the voice of Christ Jesus, our King, through the preaching of the word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this world is full of unrighteousness, and oftentimes it's really hard for us to see how righteousness can ever be possible at any moment. 
unrighteousness is not only happening locally, but it's happening globally every day. On a minor level, for example, there are countless phone scams every day. And scammers often are hiding themselves in the third world countries while making phone calls and sending texts to those people living in other parts of the world in order to scam them of their money. I remember recently I received several texts that told me that I had a package that could not be delivered to me because the address wasn't correct. The text asked me to click on a link to confirm my address. And then the text tells me to send $3 for re-delivery. That text directs me to a fake USPS page and asks me for money for re-delivery. And knowing that it's nothing but a fraud, I try to report that phone number to a government agency online, but the process was way too lengthy I had to fill out whole lots of personal information even. So I gave up because I doubted it's worth my time and I doubted it would make any difference to promote any righteousness. Instead, I sent a text to the scammer saying, Mr. Scammer, repent and believe in the Lord Jesus lest you perish. Well, It might sound funny, but with all sincerity, I was hoping that the scammer would see my text and the Lord may use it to bring the scammer, whether it's Mr. or Mrs., to repentance. Well, this is a small picture of how we might feel about our world full of unrighteous thoughts, words, and deeds and how little expectation we might have for righteousness. But also, it's a picture of how We ought to put our hope in our righteous King, Jesus Christ. So for you and me as Christians, we must not forget we do have a righteous King, Jesus, who cares about righteousness more than anyone else, who is forever reigning on high, even in the worst scenario of unrighteousness. Moreover, we must not forget Our king, righteous king Jesus, is always building up his own kingdom, his righteous kingdom in all nations, even in places, even among peoples where righteousness seems unlikely. He's still at work, his righteous work. This is the theme we are going to consider tonight in our text, Psalm 72. What I'd like to show you tonight from this passage is this truth. Jesus shall reign by perfect righteousness with the universal dominion for everlasting glory. Jesus shall reign by perfect righteousness with the universal dominion and for his everlasting glory. Let's look at three things as we walk our way through the text. First of all, the perfect righteousness of Jesus, the perfect righteousness of King Jesus, and second, the universal dominion of the king, the universal dominion of the king, and thirdly, the everlasting glory of the king, the everlasting glory of the king. So first of all, we learn from the passage, Jesus shall reign by perfect righteousness. Notice with me the superscription in the beginning of the psalm, a psalm of Solomon. 
It's not all that clear whether it means a psalm written by Solomon or a psalm about Solomon written by David as hinted in verse 20. Grammatically, it can be either way, and good scholars differ in their opinions regarding this question. But regardless of who the human author is, the message inspired by the Spirit is clear enough. The message is this. Solomon is a type of the greater Solomon, King Jesus Christ, the promised Messianic King who shall come to save and rule over his people by his perfect righteousness. So let's consider several aspects about the perfect righteousness of King Jesus. First of all, we learn that righteousness only comes from God. In verses 1 and 2, the author is pleading with God to give judgments and righteousness to the king. And the immediate context is an earnest request for God to give righteousness to King Solomon and his descendant who shall rule after Solomon. What does righteousness mean? Righteousness means conformity to the requirements of God's will revealed in the moral law of God. Simply speaking, righteousness means being what is right and doing what is right according to the moral law of God revealed in the Scripture. Righteousness, at the same time, must also imply wisdom because without wisdom, no one will know what is right and how to do right. However, by nature, after the fall, every human ruler is corrupt and foolish. Therefore, a human ruler can rule righteously only if God powerfully restrains his evil and mercifully bless his rule. Now, notice with me as well, this petition for the king's righteousness does not and in fact cannot find its full answer in King Solomon. It's because, as we shall see in a moment, the king, this very promised king, will receive everlasting praise and universal dominion, which never occurred in the life and rule of Solomon, nor in any of his descendants except one, the Lord and King Jesus Christ, the greater Solomon. Therefore, this petition for a righteous king in verses 1 and 2 is essentially a confident expectation and prayer for the coming messianic king, the Lord and King Jesus. So for hundreds of years, those faithful Jews who read and prayed this psalm must have been praying for the coming of the promised messianic king who shall be endowed with an exercise, perfect righteousness, a universal reign. Well, brothers and sisters, whenever you see any political move that leans toward God's moral law, for example, the most recent overturn of the Roe v. Wade by the Supreme Court that would forbid abortion, thanks to the Lord, you must not forget that such a righteous act is ultimately not from those judges, but from your righteous king, Jesus Christ. 
On the other hand, whenever you are concerned and even anxious about any unrighteous policy or politician being deceiving, you must not forget only the righteous God and King can give righteousness. And therefore, instead of grumbling against those politicians, you must bow to your knees and pray for the peace for this nation, pleading with the righteous King. Another aspect about the perfect righteousness of this king is that he shall defend and help the poor and needy and afflicted among his covenant people. Look at verse 2 with me. In verse 2 we read, May he judge your people with righteousness and your afflicted with justice. And in verse 4, May he vindicate the afflicted of the people, save the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. And in verse 14, he will rescue their life from oppression and violence. Now, here's the question. Who are those poor and needy and afflicted that are being addressed here by the author of this psalm? Is he talking about everyone without exception? Everyone that is poor and needy and afflicted without exception? Well, no. Rather, notice verse 2 says, May he judge your people, God's people, with Righteousness and you're afflicted with justice. Clearly, the poor and needy and afflicted here are referring to those among God's covenant beloved precious people. Only God's covenant people can claim the promise of God's gracious help and righteous vindication whenever they are oppressed. Here is the great hope. For the poor and needy and afflicted among God's people. The righteous king shall deal with them in righteousness and justice. He's not, God is not a respecter of man. There is no partiality whatsoever in God. No one can ever bribe God. God's eyes are not blinded by money. But his eyes are ever clear and sharp about what is right and what is wrong. He will give what is due to each one. This king does nothing but what is right according to his righteous law. He cannot do otherwise because righteousness is what he is. It is his glorious attributes. Notice as well, God helps the poor and needy out of his sincere compassion or pity. As we see in verse 13, here we read, He shall have compassion on the poor and needy, and the lives of the needy he will save. God is never indifferent or disinterested to his sovereign people. Never. Human rulers are often selfish. They often treat their people as nothing but the means to their own selfish gain. Even when they really try to do something helpful to their people, it is often because of their selfish interest and not because they truly care about their people. Think about Jesus' parable where a poor widow was pleading with the judge to vindicate her and the judge wouldn't do so until he could not bear any more with the persistent approach of the widow. The judge helped the widow eventually, not because she cared about her, but only because he didn't want to be bothered anymore. 
But this is not so for your king, Jesus Christ. He promises to show compassion to his people who are poor and needy. He promises to save them because he cares about them. Of course, this does not mean that they will always be freed from their particular trials. But this does mean that God and King will always provide for them, sustain their faith, and make good out of the trial to bless them and even to punish their oppressors justly. And even if God so ordains for them to die through their trials, we have the precious promise here in verse 14. Listen carefully. And their blood will be precious in His sight. You hear that? God will never forget nor take lightly the life and death of His beloved covenant people. God cherishes and treasures them, each and every one of them, and that is you and me, brothers and sisters. Perhaps this evening you are going through a period of neediness, whether it be material neediness, emotional neediness, spiritual neediness, and you wonder if anyone ever cares about you and if anyone ever is able to care for you. Well, do not despair. Let me encourage you tonight. Do not lose hope either. Your King Jesus from this passage, He promised to care about you with full compassion. And He does care for you with His perfect righteousness. He will never do any wrong to you. Rather, He always does what is right for your best. Perhaps this evening you are struggling because you feel that you are being wronged. Or perhaps you used to be wronged by someone very badly. and You desire justice and vindication, and yet you just haven't had it. You are tempted to bitterness and despair and depression. Well, remember, Jesus, your righteous king alone, can give you such ultimate justice. Leave all your sorrow and wrong into his hands, his righteous hands, trusting that one day he will give you final vindication. If not this life, then certainly in new heaven and new earth. Or by God's mercy, you and I can still worship God with very good freedom and without persecution. But at the same time, because we are living in such a peaceful and comfortable situation, it is easy for you and me to forget there are God's people in other parts of the world who are severely persecuted just because the name they name the name of Jesus Christ. Persecution is their order of the day. Many of them have lost their homes and their jobs. Many of them have been estranged from their families. Many of them have lost their arms and legs because of physical tortures. Many of them have been imprisoned and starving. Many of their covenant children cannot see their fathers because they are in prison. They are afflicted and needy. And they are God's people. They are God's people, the very object of God's kingly vindication and compassion. 
and care. So let me ask you tonight, do you appeal to God's promise here that He will care and vindicate this covenant suffering people? Do you plead with your King Jesus to vindicate, to protect, to provide for, and to comfort these people? They are your people, and they are Jesus' people. Jesus will never forget them, neither should you. Never forget to intercede for your people in other parts of the world. Jesus' righteous hands are not too short to reach out to them because he is exercising his universal dominion over all the earth. And this leads us to the second point. Jesus shall reign with universal dominion. Look at verse 8 with me. May he also rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Well, let's notice the creation language here. Sea, rivers, and earth. We find very similar language in Genesis 1.16 regarding God's purpose for the creation of mankind. Here, Genesis 1.16, we read, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth again. What do we see from this parallel between Genesis account and our Psalm 72? This promised righteous king will restore the mission of mankind which Adam, our first father, has lost by his fall. In the beginning, God created a man to represent God, to rule over other creatures as, as God's vicegerent. Man was created gloriously after God's own image in knowledge, holiness, and righteousness, as we are told in Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3. So part of God's image in man is righteousness. That means that man was endowed with the ability to do righteousness and also to teach his descendants to do the same. So if Adam had obeyed God's righteous law and taught his descendants to do so, then he and his descendants would have enjoyed everlasting life with God. But sadly, Adam failed by violating a simple, straightforward command of God not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Therefore, all mankind fell with him and sinned in him and inherited his guilt and corruption of nature, passing down to every generation. All men, therefore, are born sinful and corrupt. I don't care how cute you looked in the ultrasound picture when you were still in your mommy's wombs. You were born as a sinner, period. So instead of ruling over other creatures, they are ruled by creatures as their idols. Instead of representing God as his vicegerent, sinners we are, we are rebelling against God as vile enemies of God. And this is nothing but unrighteousness. However, God, out of his mere mercy and grace, he promised to send a righteous king who shall fulfill all, that, all the righteousness that Adam has failed to fulfill 
as a substitute for God's elect people. This promised King Jesus shall suffer and die for the sins of his people. He shall rise again from the dead, and he shall call and subdue his own people to himself from every nation, tribe, and tongue, and he shall clothe them with his own perfect righteousness so that they may be accepted by God. And also he shall enable them more and more to die unto their sin by the power of the Spirit and to live unto righteousness in submission to their righteous king. That is what it means for the King Jesus to rule from sea to sea and from the river even to the ends of the earth as we are told in verse 8. That is the promise that the gospel will spread across lands and oceans extending beyond Israel to all nations and all peoples, transforming the lives of billions from the rule of sin and Satan to the rule of King Jesus. That's why in the New Testament, the gospel is often called the gospel of kingdom. The gospel is the good news, not only because Jesus saved sinners from hell, which is true, of course, but also because, equally important, Jesus saved his people into his kingdom, enabling them to submit to him and serve him as their king and no longer under the bondage and slavery of Satan. What great news that is. Well, you and I are living in a culture of anti-authority. Therefore, there's always a temptation for Christians to only focus on Jesus' love, mercy, and kindness while omitting, while avoiding talking about Jesus' authority and kingship. There's a temptation for Christians to avoid Jesus' kingship, even in the mission field, in the name of contextualization. Well, it might be true that Some people have seen, have experienced really bad examples of authorities, and therefore they resent authority. But the solution for that is never to get rid of every authority, but because there is good authority, the solution is rather to preach and to embrace King Jesus who reigns everywhere with his perfect authority. As we have seen this passage Jesus shall reign, Jesus shall rule as the king from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. Jesus' kingship is essential for the full message of the gospel, regardless of any culture difference. You should pray as well, therefore, for churches and missionaries in other nations that they would not bow to such temptation of omitting Jesus' kingship, but they will boldly and clearly share and preach the gospel of kingdom that demands sinners to submit to Jesus as their king, regardless of their cultures. Jesus cannot be your savior without also being your king, ruling over your life. Now in verses 9 through 11, we see this king, shall rule over all kinds of people, both the humble and the great. Look at verses 9 through 11 with me again. 
Here we read in verses 9 through 11, let the nomads, or those who dwell in the desert, let the nomads of the desert bow before him, and his enemies lick the dust. Let the kings of Tarshish and of the islands of bring presents, the king of Sheba and Seba offer gifts, and let all kings bow down before him. All nations serve him. So these nomads were likely uneducated peasants living in the desert, and Sheba and Seba were more civilized kingdoms in Arabia and Ethiopia. As we see the Queen Sheba visiting Solomon to, to learn from his wisdom. And then Tarshishi is likely in modern day Spain to the far west of Israel, where you remember Jonah used to flee from God's calling to preach the gospel to Nineveh. So we see a foretaste of this promise in Matthew chapter 2, when the wise man from the east brought presents to worship King Jesus. Jesus was able to save these people, no matter how far they are, no matter how pagan they are, Jesus' rule was such that he will able to subdue them to himself. The power of King Jesus will be such that he can subdue and save all kinds of people to obey and submit to his rule, regardless of their ethnicity, regardless of their education, their social class or locality. No one is too lowly for Jesus to take interest in. No one is too uneducated for Jesus to reveal the gospel to them. No one is too prosperous to need Jesus. No one is too powerful for Jesus to subdue. Jesus can save and subdue even the most unlikely people. So let me ask you tonight, do you pray for the salvation of those who are lowly and humble? Do you try to reach out to them, trusting that Jesus' rule and power can help you? Those who, are not as un- those who are not as educated and cultured, do you pray for them? Whether they are your neighbors, whether they are your co-workers or people in other nations, or do you somehow think, well, they are unattractive, so I don't care for them to be gathered to the church. I don't care for them to be numbered as my people. Is that the way you think? Do you pray for the salvation, on the other hand, of those who are in high positions, especially civil magistrates, whether in this nation or other nations? Do you desire for them to be saved even? Or do you think, nah, they are too proud, they better go to hell? Is that the way you think subtly? What about those who reject King Jesus? Look at the little phrase in verse 9 with me. Little phrase in verse 9. And his enemies lick the dust. The language lick the dust should remind us of the curse that God pronounced to the serpent after the fall in Genesis 3.14. So here we read in Genesis 3.14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, 
and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. So the eating or licking of dust is a picture of shame and dishonor. It's a picture of shame and dishonor for those who are enemies of God, including Satan and all those who follow the device of Satan and reject Jesus. Only worms eat dust. They are one of the lowest creatures. But humans are noble creatures made after God's own image with, uh, with honor and glory. And angels are creatures endowed with even more knowledge and power and honor than humans. But when humans and angels disobey God, they became like worms, altogether ugly, defiled, and useless for God's kingdom. Their tongues are made to praise God and tell of the truth. And yet, they speak lies about who God is. So their tongues deserve nothing but dust. In fact, Charles Spurgeon even said this, commenting on this passage, dust is too good for them since they trampled on the blood of Christ. As rebellious as God's enemies are, they will still be subjected to King Jesus, not voluntarily, but gradually, not joyfully, but dreadfully, not in honor, but in dishonor. Well, this world is not peaceful, not at all. There are always enemies seeking to attack God's name and God's people. They do so in many different ways. It can be false religions propagating heresies. It can be movements seeking to pervert God's creation orders, especially sexuality. It can be physical persecutions for, from unbelievers, such as burning churches and torturing Christians. You name it. And of course, behind all these enemies are the greater enemy, Satan, seeking to deceive and devour God's people. Such things are happening every single day in the world. And you might wonder, where is Jesus? You might wonder, you might even struggle to think, where is Jesus' power and righteousness? Does Jesus even care? Well, let's be encouraged by verse 9. All his enemies shall lick dust. Jesus does care. The universal rule of your King Jesus is such that he is and he will always be restraining and conquering all his and our enemies over the world. So praise your King Jesus, for he cannot and he will not be defeated by even the strongest enemies in the world, whether it's atheism or Islam or LGBTQ movements. No enemy is too far or too strong for his restraining and righteous hand to reach and to control. Do you trust in Jesus' power that is able to restrain and crush his enemies? Do you trust? Do you pray? If you do trust, then do you pray against the enemies of Christ and his church? Do you pray that Jesus will destroy the kingdom of Satan as we are taught by the Shorter Catechism commenting on 
the second petition of the Lord's Prayer, destroy the kingdom of Satan. No enemy can ever stop the king from expanding his kingdom. Look at verse 6 again with me. 16 again with me. May there be abundance of grain in the earth on top of the mountains. Its food will wave like the cedars of Lebanon. And may those from the city flourish like vegetation of the earth. So notice the agriculture language here. Grain, food, and cedars of Lebanon, vegetation of the earth. This is a vivid picture of how the church of Christ, under his kingly rule, universally shall increase and grow over the earth, globally. The church of Christ shall be prosperous and lively and fruitful, nourishing God's people in their number and in their holiness, just as those crops nourish many people. Christ shall continue to gather and perfect his people through the church by the power of the Spirit. He will not fail it. You should be very grateful, therefore, for how God has been increasing and growing his kingdom globally and universally. The fact that you and I can hear and believe in the gospel even though you are thousands of miles away from the early church in Jerusalem, is an evidence that your King Jesus is infallibly and faithfully fulfilling His promise in this passage that He shall rule from sea to sea, from the river even to the ends of the earth, even here in Greenville, South Carolina. He saved you into His number. He so rules the world that whoever has been given to him by God the Father shall be gathered into his church. You should pray for the success of the Great Commission as well with confidence, with confidence optimistically that Jesus shall subdue to himself all kinds of people in all nations. Let me ask you, do you desire to see the growth of Jesus' church around the globe? Or are you too busy with your own businesses, yourself? You're too busy with yourself to care about the church of Christ. Do you pray earnestly, regularly for the advancement of God's kingdom in all nations? Or do you only pray mostly for your own needs? Why would Jesus Christ rule over the whole earth and expand his kingdom to all nations. Why? Well, it's ultimately for his own everlasting glory, which leads us to the third point. Thirdly, Jesus shall reign for his everlasting glory. Jesus shall reign for his everlasting glory as his people, redeemed people, worship him unto all eternity. Look at verse 17 with me again. In verse 17, we read, May his name endure forever. May his name increase as long as the sun shines. And let men bless themselves by him, that all nations call him blessed. So here you see God's name. God's name, which represents God himself and all his perfection, will be cherished, adored, glorified, 
and worshipped by his covenant people forever and ever. And God's people who praise his God's name will come from every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. They will worship their God and King with their own languages while they are on earth here and now, as well as in heaven whenever the Lord is pleased to take them home. And why are they praising God, you ask? Well, God is worthy of our praise because He is blessing His people from all nations, Jews and Gentiles, as we are told in verse 17, which is echoing God's promise to Abraham in Genesis 22, in your seed, which refers to Jesus the seed, all nations of the earth shall be blessed. God is worthy of praise also because He is the Lord God, meaning He is the eternal, unchangeable God, as we are told in verse 18. God is worthy of praise because He is the God of Israel, which represents all of God's people, as we are told in verse 18, meaning that He is covenant-making and covenant-keeping. He is the ever-faithful God to His people, even though they are often unfaithful and they are unworthy. God is still faithful to them. Again, in verse 18, we see that God is worthy of praise because of His wondrous works, especially His work of redemption by sending His Son to be the God-man King to suffer for our sins, to, be sl- to slaughter the devil, and to subdue our hearts to God. Why is Jesus reigning with His universal dominion? Why did Jesus command the church to send out or then minister to make disciples of all nations? Why should we as a church support the Great Commission? It is for this very purpose, so that God may be worshipped and glorified by His people in all nations, at all times, unto all eternity, for all that He is and all that He does for all of His people. What do you desire the most about the church? What do you desire the most about heaven? Should it not be to worship your trying God? If not, then what is it that that grabs your heart so much so that you don't desire to worship God as your biggest desire? There's no job in the world that can last forever because you would either be fired or you would quit or you would retire. But there's one exception. That is the job to worship the triune God. That is the most glorious, most joyful and everlasting job you can ever have both here now and also in the new heaven and new earth. Do you desire that? Do you desire to worship God with adoration and praise? Are you zealous about His great name to be honored and exalted high? Or are you consumed with your own honor and reputation and the approval of men? Never forget what great mercy and compassion and what great wisdom and power that your King Jesus has shown you in His saving grace upon you. You have every reason to adore Him all the days of your life 
especially here at worship at church? Do you desire for other people in other nations to worship your God and King? Do you want your God and King to also be their God and King? Are you praying for the success of the Great Commission with the desire that God's name shall be worshipped in every nation, tribe, and tongue? Or do you somehow think, well, I'm busy enough with myself and I don't care about those other people so far away from me? Is that the way you think? What is the most unrighteous event in human history? Well, it is Jesus' crucifixion, the Holy Son of God being betrayed and killed by Gentiles and Jews. Yet, even in the midst of such heinous unrighteousness, your King Jesus is still executing his most righteous plan in order to save both Jews and Gentiles into his righteous kingdom. Jesus shall reign by perfect righteousness. Therefore, put your trust in his righteous rule, even when evil seems to be rampant. Jesus shall reign with his universal dominion. Therefore, plead earnestly for your King Jesus to destroy the kingdom of Satan and to bring men and women, boys and girls, to his glorious kingdom. Jesus shall reign for his glorious and everlasting glory. Therefore, be zealous and pray for his name to be exalted high wherever the gospel goes, both in your hearts, in your church, and also in all nations. Are you submitting to Jesus' kingly authority and as you are under his blessings? If you are, that is your eternal blessedness. But are you still rejecting Jesus' kingship? And therefore, you will lick the dust. If that's you, let me urge you tonight, submit to Jesus, receive him as your king and Lord. Today is the day of salvation. Come to Jesus. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for sending your Son to be our mighty Savior and King. Cause us to trust in his righteous rule and care. Give us desire to see the growth of Jesus' church in all nations. Help us, O Lord, to pray zealously and confidently for your kingdom advancement. Our King Jesus, deliver and protect your people who are afflicted even now by persecution. May you continue to subdue the hearts of sinners by the power of your spirit to obey and serve you from sea to sea, from the river, even to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.